The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon everybody. Welcome to the Forum. My name's Craig. And today is our last lunchtime talk in the series, Seeking Asylum, Finding Refuge in God. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, but there's advantages in seeing the big picture of where the day today fits in. And today we're going to see the big picture of the book of Ruth that we've been going through over the past month. Our speaker is Mark Leong one of the City Bible Forum staff. It's been good to get to know Mark over the last few weeks as he's spoken to us and answered questions. The format is the usual one where Mark will speak for 20 minutes or so and then you can ask questions or make comments either by writing it down on the slip of paper in your program, sticking up your hand, I'll have the roving mic, or by texting me a question. So I will read the chapter that Mark's going to be referring to today. It's taken from a book in the Old Testament called Ruth and it's chapter 4. If you'd like to open up your Ruth booklets, I will read. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah 
and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Ebed, Ebed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Thanks, Mark. Uh, well, uh, it's great to finish off this series of Ruth today, um, and next week we'll go into another series. Uh, just for those of you who like an outline, um, this week I managed to make the cutoff, so there is an outline for you. It's only taken me four weeks to get my act together, but for those of you who like to follow along, you can do that there. Though no one's come and actually complained or mentioned anything to me, so if you'd like to go back to how we've been looking at Ruth, feel free to just read along the booklet, which you can take home uh, today. Well, here are three snapshots, three recent conversations I've had, and they all have a similar theme throughout. See if you can pick it up. The first was at a career expo. There's a partner in a law firm. He's sitting to my right, and he's an impressive guy. Uh, He's an Asian guy. Um, That's not why he's impressive, (laughs) but... Uh, The only reason why I mention it, because uh, as I looked at him, I couldn't exactly gauge his age. He looked like he was 25. Uh, He actually turned out to be around about 35, but yet still, that's quite impressive. 35-year-old partner of a law firm. And as the students were asking questions to this panel, he made this comment. The absolute low of being a lawyer is something called discovery. I don't know, there are a couple of lawyers here who have smiled, but discovery is, imagine this, a box of files, late nights, trawling through file after file, reading draft after draft after draft of the same document, trying to find the final one. And as you're doing it, the question you ask yourself is, why am I doing this? And yet it's only when I realise that this is a small part to a much larger story that I was able to stick at it and could go on. The second is at a dinner. It's informal, it's casual, and one of the workers is asked how their day was, as you normally do. This particular worker works at a charitable organisation and part of their work is to help homeless people find a job. And he comments, Homelessness is a symptom of something far more fundamental. 
When you help people discover their purpose, then they'll have a reason to get up. They'll have a reason to take the inevitable knocks that come in life and to try again. Once purpose is taken away, homelessness is just another step along the way. And finally, I'm in an intense negotiation with my three-year-old daughter who doesn't want to shower. It's a typical parental standoff. She is in one corner. She's hot, sweaty, itchy, tired, and it's near her bedtime. And all she wants to do is to continue playing. Dad is in the other corner. Annabelle, please come shower. No, Dad, I'm busy. Annabelle, come shower now. No, Dad, I'm too busy. Annabelle, come shower now. But why, Daddy? Why? I pause and take a deep breath. Well, each of these conversations remind me of how important it is to know the big picture. Knowing the big picture helps you persevere through the tedious and difficult. Knowing the big picture motivates you to get up and try again. Knowing the big picture helps you outsmart your three-year-old daughter again. See, whatever stage of life you are, raising your head up to see the big picture is important. Yes, it's difficult. It's easy to be absorbed in the day-to-day, to overinvest in the urgent. You know, I, I'm, I'm fully aware of life, which is just the to-do list mania. Do you know what it is? You write one to-do list, you finish, you go to another to-do list, and you just get consumed by that. And yet, when you do have a moment to pause, to ask, what are the details of this big picture? What's in the foreground? What's in the background? What takes centre stage? When you have a moment to lift your head up above the mundane and ask, where is my life going and how that will change my every day, those moments are precious, aren't they? You should really cherish them. And as we come to Ruth, the final chapter of Ruth, it ends with the big picture. So how do we get to this point? Well, let's take a whirlwind tour with a few pit stops along the way. So, chapter one. Chapter one, we saw that Ruth is a story about three refugees, Naomi, Elimelech, and Ruth. Naomi and Elimelech, they live in Bethlehem. That's right, it's the same town that Jesus was born, but you wind back the clock 1,000 years, and the chapter, chapter opens with tears. There's a famine. Economic security is removed. There's unexpected deaths in the family. Elimelech and his two sons die. And so at the end of the chapter, the only ones left standing are Naomi and Ruth. Ruth is the foreigner from Moab who married one of those sons. Both of them are now widows. And as we saw the events unfold in chapter 1, as we stepped into the shoes of these refugees, I suggested that each of us here are refugees. We may be in suits, We may have jobs, we may have houses, but we are all looking for security. We're all searching for a home and for refuge. See, Elimelech, he sought security in in the economy, in his wealth, but that crumbled away underneath him and he was forced to move on. 
Naomi sought security in her family, but even that gave way. And she was, she was forced to move on, and she moved on into bitterness and only saw that God was against her. And yet Ruth, she took a risk. She was from Moab. She didn't know anything about this God. She didn't grow up with it. But what she did know about him, she thought, no, this is the place where I can find refuge. So unlike Elimelech and Naomi, she sought refuge in this God. And at the end of chapter 1, we ask this question. Well, if everyone else has been asked to move on, Elimelech and Naomi, they've been asked to move on, their refuge was only temporary, what about Ruth? Will she be asked to move on? And so in the next two chapters, we saw that story unfold. What does it look like when Ruth places refuge in this God? Well, Ruth, we find out, meets Boaz. And in, the, in these chapters, it's romantic. There's a genuine respect and an extraordinary kindness shown by both Ruth and Boaz to each other. Ruth, last week we found out, didn't run after younger men. And Boaz is concerned not just for the young girl, Ruth, but for her mother-in-law, Naomi, as well. And as we saw this romance unfold, it just warmed your heart. This was a beautiful picture. And yet, it's not all left to romantic chance. Even though Ruth didn't know it or see it, God was still working. In hindsight, she said, but at the time, she didn't know In fact, when she trusted this God and sought refuge in him, it meant that at no point had God abandoned her. God was a safe refuge. His silence wasn't to be mistaken for inactivity because he was always at work. And so last week we left the story with Boaz. He was a guardian redeemer. He's the person who's keen to redeem Ruth. The idea of redemption is to change her situation at a cost, to change her outlook, her position at a cost. See, Boaz was to give her a resting place, a home, a future. And yet, at the end of chapter 3, we saw there was another one who could also provide for her. So let's meet this other candidate and let's make the inevitable comparison as Boaz and this other guardian redeemer are put side by side. Well, let's look at chapter four. It's on page five of your booklets. And we're going to look at the, start off at the beginning, page five. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Notice where chapter 4 takes place. Chapter 3 was in private on the threshing floor. Now everything is in public. He's at the place where the elders come. This is going to be a legitimate, above-board marriage. And what happens as Boaz goes up to the town gate? It just so happens that the guardian redeemer he had mentioned comes along. Is this just coincidence? Or... Is this again God silently working in the background? Boaz said, come along here, my friend, and sit down. So he went down, he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it 
do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. What do you think about the other guardian redeemer at this point? My first thought was, what a jerk. Uh, To be fair, it was his right to to redeem and not to redeem. Boaz says that, doesn't he? But still, he doesn't come off well, does he? He's hasty. He over-promises. He only offers temporary hope. He's selective. He really is the reluctant redeemer. Compare that to Boaz, who was ready to redeem. He took the initiative. He was willing to accept the cost and the responsibility. And as um, Craig read out for us, he was willing to see it through to the very end. Which redeemer is attractive to you? Well, if I skip forward to today, the point of comparison here is timely for us because there will be always two redeemers, if not more, on offer to you. When it comes to finding refuge, when it comes to searching for security, there are always alternatives. I mean, your holidays can be your source of refuge. Your real estate can be the source of security that you seek. Your career can be the thing that kick-start the fulfilment of your dreams. There are always alternatives. And yet, the question is, do they overpromise? Do they provide lasting satisfaction or are they temporary and you're forced to move on to something else? Are they selective? If that's the alternative, who then is our Boaz today? Is there a Boaz-like redeemer today? Is there somebody who doesn't overpromise, who is not selective, who offers lasting hope to all people, even in the face of despair, who is willing to bear the cost and enter wherever I am and wherever you are, to enter right there and to change your outlook and your position, because that's what a redeemer does. Well, there's a verse written about 1,000 later, 1,000 years later, and Craig's going to show it on the screen for us right now, because here's the punchline, one of the punchlines of the story: Jesus Christ is our Boaz. What does it say? This is Paul, an early church leader, reflecting on what Jesus Christ does at the very first Easter when he dies and he comes back to life. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Yes, we are rich 
but we're also spiritually bankrupt. Yes, we are in control of our lives, but we're also refugees longing for security. Yes, we can fix many problems, and yet we know that we can't purify, we can't decontaminate ourselves, can we? Now, I've never been handed a blank check in my life. I've never had the, you know, holding a check that's been signed off uh, before. You know, I'd like that situation to change, so if any of you like to hand me a blank check after, please see me, and we'll see how this little experiment goes. But hypothetically, if anyone were to hand me a blank check, the question or the dilemma that I'd have would be how much to write on the check. I mean, it's signed, it's legal, but the check is useless, isn't it, if it bounces? How much am I going to put? If I put too much, it's useless, but if I put too little, it's a wasted opportunity. Well, because Jesus gives his life for us, because Jesus is the willing redeemer for us. No wickedness is too much. No case is too hard. You see, no check will bounce with this redeemer. You can write on it as much as you need and he will redeem you from it. He will save you. He will purify you from wickedness because he's a willing and ready redeemer. Well, I should end the talk there, and it seems to be a natural point to end. This would, I think, would be the Disney ending. You know, everything ends well, we find out who the redeemer is, and Ruth gets married. But the story of Ruth doesn't end there, does it? Turn with me to the final page of your booklets. How does the story end? Verse 18. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. What a weird way to end a story. Uh, who in their right mind ends a dramatic story with a historical chart. I mean, is this kind of like the credits at the end of a movie? You know, you flash past it. You know, you know you, no one ever stays around for credits, do they? You just quickly overlook it. Indeed, every time we've read this publicly, everyone speeds up at the end as if it is the credits. Quick, let's get to the end because we don't know what to do with it. But the writer has purposely put this here. And I think if we have a few moments to dwell on it. It really is the ending, which is the fitting finale to this symphony. How? Why? Well, this genealogy, this historical chart, is no ordinary one. It's a chart of David, God's chosen king. King David is one of the greatest figureheads of the Old Testament, and more importantly, is the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus Christ. So to be part of this tree is to be a participant in a royal family. To be part of this tree is to be involved in the way God brings about redemption, the redemption we just read about in that earlier verse. To be part of this tree is special, privileged, treasured. And at the end of Ruth, what do we find out? Ruth, the refugee, 
the foreigner, the outcast, she's been included into this line. Ruth is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, the ultimate redeemer. Recently, I spoke at a to a group of retirees, something similar to this. It was at a church, and so I was able to open a bit of the Bible with them. Uh, This group of retirees called themselves the Grumpy Old Men's Group. Before I met them, I already had a deep respect for them. What a great name, Grumpy Old Men. And they were a little bit grumpy, but they were heaps of fun. We had a good, a fair jokes, a few jokes together. But as I was reading the Bible and hearing their stories, it struck me their greatest fear was that they'd become irrelevant. And technology had left them behind. The places, the urban landscape where they'd grown up, it had changed so drastically that they felt they were always behind today. And that wasn't even considering their health. On the other end of the spectrum when I catch up for young workers for lunch, they're afraid that they'll go unnoticed. They'll be overlooked. They'll be underappreciated. The ending of Ruth says that no one is irrelevant, that no one is overlooked or underappreciated because ordinary people can, can be and are being included in God's plans. In ancient history, Ruth is a nobody, She's one of many, probably thousands of refugees moving around the Middle East around about 1000 BC. But in God's eyes, she is precious and part of his bigger picture. The end point of Ruth is not that God gives us good endings, you know, the God of Disney. The end point of Ruth is far better. The end point of Ruth is that you don't need to be a spectator of God's plans you can actually be a participant in it. You can be woven into his bigger picture. It's not as if we stand on the platform and watch God's train rush us by, observing from a distance. No, at the end of Ruth, the train stops, the doors open, an announcement is made and you're invited to go on board. Seeking refuge in this God not only gives you refuge, We saw that in chapter 1. Not only gives you a home, we saw that in chapters 2 and 3, but it actually involves you in a far bigger story, God's story, and in a far bigger picture. See, Ruth has a pointy ending. It ends with the biggest picture of all. God sends a redeemer in Jesus Christ. He's willing to bear the cost to redeem, to change your and my position. For in Jesus, we're no longer spectators, but participants. When you look at the big picture, we're not left in the background, but we're brought into the foreground. Ruth is a beautiful story, but it ends with us pointing to a far, far greater story and an invitation to be part of it. That's the big picture. Thanks, Craig. Great. Okay, well, it's your turn. Do you have any questions or comments about what Mark said today? It can be...
directly relating to the talk or it might be a tangent. In fact, I reckon you could ask him anything that you wanted to about the Bible. He's been to theological college. He's got to be worth something. Okay, number one. Read chapter 4, verse 6. How would acquiring Ruth endanger the estate of the first unwilling, unwilling guardian redeemer? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so verse 6, when the other guardian redeemer, he rejects the idea of redeeming because it might endanger his estate. Um, it's, I think uh, the idea here is if he takes Ruth on board, yes, he gets, uh, I guess, the property, the asset, if I were to put my commercial hat on, the asset, but he also dilutes his investment as well because there's another person which could legitimately be part of his inheritance or, um, yeah, be a, um, yeah, uh, to, be, to use our language, would be part of the will. And so he sees Ruth and rather than seeing someone to be loved and cherished and, by the way, this is the way God sought to make sure refugees would be taken care of. It's part of his plans. Um, rather, rather than seeing that and kind of this is the right thing to do, he sees her as a liability, really, and a threat. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of the stark contrast between Boaz and this other redeemer. But it, the short answer is he chooses not to redeem because it's going to dilute his estate somehow. So, yeah. One more, I've got a one question. I've got a question myself this week. What do you think? Is that all right, everybody, if I ask one? I reckon so. I've got the mic anyway. Uh, uh, Wouldn't it be embarrassing that that, uh, Ruth was non-Jewish, i.e. Jesus Christ is this sort of most famous Jewish person? Yeah. Meant to be the Messiah of Israel. Isn't it embarrassing that Ruth is from Moab? Non-Jewish. Yeah, I think it depends with with what kind of ears you want to hear. That I think if um, if you thought that Jesus is just or his mission was to kind of bring up and maintain Israel, national Israel, and kind of raise their flag, so to speak, and make sure they're renowned and well known, then including someone like Ruth is kind of an injustice. How dare you kind of include this outsider? But if you think Jesus is the one who actually, as Paul, one of the early Christian writers, wrote, is the one to redeem people, then the inclusion of Ruth actually is wonderful. It's reassuring uh, because it reminds that all along God had wanted to include not just people of Israel but the outsider the person who's lost, the person who, who, you know, like Ruth, who has Ruth's story, grew up, did, didn't know God at all, all I knew was something else, but got introduced to God some way and thought, no, this God is the one I want to seek refuge with. And that person who turns around, seeks refuge in God, asks for forgiveness, God doesn't leave them doesn't leave them disappointed. He actually includes them. So in actual fact, you could maybe, depending on what you think Jesus is doing, it might be disappointing. And 
to be honest, when Jesus first came onto the scene and people were writing about his life, that, that was kind of like, Ruth, what, what is she doing here? It was a point of, really, I need to rethink about what Jesus is doing. But once you kind of see Jesus as the person who's offering salvation to all kinds of people who are in all kinds of different situations and backgrounds, then I think it's actually a beautiful inclusion. It's an intentional inclusion. And I think that's the power of the end. Ruth, the rank outsider, the one who grew up not knowing God, is included in God's big picture. So, yeah. So, yes and no, I guess. It, it is shocking, but depending on what kind of ears you have. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Any other questions? Great. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks very much for coming today. Hope you have a great afternoon. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.